This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. Let's be honest, like, a guy did something dumb, and there's retribution for stuff like that, and if you want to go down that road, I mean, well, we're sure the hell not going to back down, and so, you know, whether it was Bo or Bogo or Perry or you go through the list of guys that, you know, sticking up for their teammates and especially their goaltender and you want to have that, those guys in your organization and get on them. Was that playoff hockey yesterday? What in the world was going on? Sam Bennett says, you know what, let's just start the rivalry process again this year right now here in Orlando. And boy, oh boy, I don't know if anybody expected what we saw last night between Tampa Bay and Florida. It was entertaining to say the least. I'm not sure both coaches appreciated what went on, specifically the Tampa Bay Lightning, but you heard John Cooper coming in. No doubt his team wasn't going to back away. And really, quite honestly, what did you expect the Tampa Bay Lightning to do? After Sam Bennett takes a run at Andre Vasilevsky, the most important player on that team and the best goaltender in the league. We're going to talk about it for the next hour. I'm Greg Lanelli along with Dave Mishkin. He called the game last night here on Lightning Power Play. Steve Ersnick is our producer. Hit us up on Twitter at Bolts Radio. Dave, you and Chief had a front row seat to that play. And, you know, it's it's one of those situations, and we've talked about this before, the lack of respect I think at times players have for one another in this league where oftentimes you'll see a late hit or a blindside hit, a hit to the back, and the player goes into the boards. I feel like we see too many of those plays in today's game, especially for a league that talks about hits to the head and how they want to cut that out of the game if they can. That play by Bennett last night was Bush League. Absolute Bush League. And I like Bennett as a player. That's a Bush League play on a defenseless player going high. What did you think was going to happen if you were the Florida Panthers? The Tampa Bay Lightning. I was surprised, Dave, if this was in the 70s or early 80s, that whole bench for the Lightning would be off and we'd see a melee on the ice where everybody's dancing with somebody else because of what happened. <laughs> that that could have been ugly, certainly yeah. 30, 35 years ago, but that was just, it was unnecessary. Unnecessary. It was unnecessary. John Cooper is right when he said the player made a dumb play or however he phrased it. So did he hit Vasilevsky like he hit Blake Coleman in game one of the playoffs last year? No, he did not. But he definitely hit him. He definitely got his arm up. He definitely knew what he was doing. He had the play in front of him. And so there was, it wasn't like a hockey play gone wrong, which I don't even know how you hit the goalie and it's a hockey play gone wrong. But like like some kind of collision that he couldn't avoid, for example, might be a hockey play gone wrong. This was not that. But he also didn't absolutely steamroll Vasilevsky. So, at least from our vantage point, it seemed like he knew what he was doing, he knew that he wanted to do it, and he did it in a way that he made sure Vasilevsky fell down, but he didn't propel him like into the end wall, right? Which, which almost makes it worse in a way. <laughs> no, propelling him into the end wall would have been worse. But it's almost like, that shows that he knew exactly what he was doing. 
that he wanted to hit him, but didn't want to injure him. But if he if he nicked him up a little bit, you know, that could happen. Sure. Because the goalie is not expecting to be hit. So the goalie is not bracing himself to be hit. And the goalie is not looking at him. Vasilevsky is looking at the puck. He's playing the puck. So it was a bad hit. I probably have a different takeaway, though, than than some of the fans who might be getting up in arms about it. And I, I can say this. Like, there is a rivalry that it's not brewing. It is brewed. There is a rivalry now between the Lightning and Panthers. And that's not a bad thing. And we've been talking about this for decades since the Panthers came into the league. Like, what was it going to take for these two teams to develop a really heated rivalry? And usually there were two things that that we talked about, like the, our group and, and, and on the Panthers' side, too. First of all, both teams had to be good at the same time. And then on top of that, they had to meet in a playoff series. And both those things happened last year. And now what we're seeing is a lot more nastiness than what we typically have seen in these preseason games because the Lightning and Panthers have played for years against each other multiple times in week two of the preseason. I'm not sure that that we really saw anything like what we saw last night in some of those earlier games. And I think it is tied to, well, it's tied to the Bennett play, but it's tied to the fact that both teams know how good the other team is. Yep. And they had this emotional, hard-fought series last year and I maintain Greg like we have talked about this on the show had the Lightning not gotten past the Panthers the Panthers could have won the Stanley Cup last year I don't feel that I'm I'm exaggerating their their quality and and their chances last year by saying that they didn't get past the Lightning though and if I'm thinking that you can bet that they're thinking that too. The Lightning stood in their way. I know it was in the first round, but they still stood in their way of potentially getting a Stanley Cup because I think the Panthers understand how good they are and how good they were last year. They just happened to run to the defending champs last year. And it was it was six games. That was an extremely hard-fought close series. I f- so, yeah. so just putting a bow on this. Sure. That those were the ingredients that allowed the the pot to bubble over, and it was the Bennett play that that was turning the heat on, maybe or or adding in chemistry lab. The Bennett play was was the last ingredient to make it combust. But but my takeaway was less about Bennett and less about the hit and and not even the the final score, which we can get into how the game unfolded. I thought the biggest takeaway from the Lightning side about what happened last night was when that Bennett play happened, we saw the the players rallying around Vasilevsky. And it reminded me in some ways of that Boston game right after the Lightning acquired Goodrow and Coleman, particularly Goodrow. Remember Goodrow got into a fight in that game? And it was probably only his fifth or sixth game. I mean, it was near the end before the pandemic hit, but that went a long way, a long way with his teammates. And what did we see last night, Greg? We saw Corey Perry fight 
Tippett, but it was right after that hit. And Perry was all over Bennett. Perry's mouth was going a mile a minute at Bennett for the rest of the night. Maroon and Bennett. We expect that from Maroon. Boris Kachuk fought Bennett. We saw guys step up in that regard as if to say, you mess with Vasilevsky, you you have to answer to me. And some of those people who are saying that weren't on the Lightning last year. So despite the fact that the Lightning lost and now they're a one and four in the preseason, we can we can get into kind of where the team is at. To me, I think that the lasting takeaway from what happened last night was that was an opportunity for the team to to bond. And you got some new faces joining the team this year. And I, I think what they did went a long way. I mean, without being in the locker room, it, it's hard to know for sure. But you don't think it matters to to the veterans that Boris Kachuk fought Bennett? It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And, and I, in fact, the way I actually... Perry, Perry was acting, and I, I look, Perry's, Perry's a, a veteran. He understands, like, you don't run the goalie. The goalie's on his team. He understands this is the best goalie in the world. You just don't do it. But still, he was not going to let that slide. He was not going to let Bennett off the hook. And whether it had any effect on Bennett is less important than the effect that it had and has on his current teammates. Yep. I, I actually think you can make the argument, and I will, that Boris Kachuk, with that fight, I, I think he made the team. And not... Obviously, he's done a bit more. I've told you going into that game, I thought he had a little bit of a leg up on the other guys who were jockeying for that position. I actually think he earned a lot of bonus points and respect in that locker room when he went after Bennett like that. I think, you know, you, you want to be noticeable. You want to make an impression, whether that's goals, whether that's body checks, something like that. As much as I'm really not a fan of fighting in hockey, as long as that's in the game... I think everybody in that locker room said, okay, you know what? He um, He's protecting our goaltender. He went after the guy that did it. That says something. And I think Boris Kachuk, let's put it this way. I'm su- I'll be surprised if he's not on the final roster uh, before the regular season. I think. And he, you know, there, there's, something, there's something that we haven't really discussed, Greg, and, and Chief and I were talking about this last night. I hadn't really thought about this. Like, we're operating under the assumption the Lightning are keeping 13 forwards. And, and seven defensemen and two goalies. That takes you to 22. They could keep 23. I mean, it would mean that you're scratching three players a night, which yeah. I don't think is, is necessarily the route the Lightning want to go. But, and we can get into the performance of the team and, and the four forwards that we have talked about. And I, I think that I think that the Lightning had a good showing last night overall. They, they did not have a good third period particularly the beginning of the third period. But overall, it was a good showing, and John Cooper talked about that beyond the guys sticking up for each other. But if the Lightning decide to keep 14 forwards, that means three of the four would be making the team, not including Jamel Smith, including Sorelli, assuming he's able to to come back and be ready for the start of the regular season. And as we've talked about, three of the four do require waivers. So if there's any concern about, like, you know what, we might lose a guy in waivers, maybe they decide to keep three of the four. I don't. It would mean, though, that only one of those three 
theoretically would be getting into a game each night. As you pointed out, Rife Force has he doesn't have to clear waivers, correct? He does not. I, I don't think he starts the year in Tampa Bay. So now then you have those three players, Radish, Barboule, and Kachuk. To your point, under that scenario, you might just keep all of them. Right. You could. I was could. I was kind of favoring the Lightning were keeping thirteen because then your your payroll is a little lower. I mean, not a lot lower. We are talking about guys, you know, making, you know, they're not making Kucherov money, right? But it's still one less player that that you're including in your cap hit. Well, let's and go that, to that player question. would not be that, that player theoretically would be scratched, right? I mean, you could have a rotation yeah. of players, but that would be the argument for not keeping a bunch of extra guys. The argument for keeping a bunch of extra guys would be, you know, what all these guys did well enough to make the team, and they're all they're all waiver eligible. Or the the flip side is all three of those guys make the team because while maybe they all of them haven't necessarily kicked the door down with their play, we don't want to lose them. Yeah. You know, it's almost we'll, the we'll other, get the answer way. to that probably after before before next Tuesday. Yeah. So let's let's go there a little bit with the game and, and the cap question you had because then we can we can break some stuff down because it, it goes along with what Al wanted to know. He said Lightning have to be happy with last night's performance considering who was in the Florida lineup and who wasn't in the Lightning lineup. He said different game if 77, 86, 91, 27 and 71 are in. He likes 13 and 16. Question, can the Lightning carry 23 with cap space available? So it kind of goes along with a little yeah, bit with what I think you were saying they at the can. end there. I mean, I don't think that they they I think it would be their choice to carry 22. But again, I don't I don't I don't know enough about the numbers how that would be crunched. I have not heard that the Lightning's cap situation is is so tight to the point that they have to carry one less than the maximum. Right. I haven't heard that. Be nice if I think cap- I think it would be the team's choice though for for the reasons that that we just spelled out. Mm-hmm. Like do you want do you want two of your three forwards sitting? And maybe you make the the conclusion or you reach the conclusion that, and again, we're kind of unfairly putting Ryfors on the outside here because he is waiver exempt, and also he hasn't played in the American Hockey League. Yeah. And he didn't do badly last night. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But sending Bari Boulay, Kachuk, or Radish to Syracuse other than the fact that you don't have room on your NHL roster, like what is the benefit for them of going to Syracuse? Is it this is the same discussion we had about Alex Green, where we said Alex Green will benefit more from playing a lot in Syracuse than practicing and sitting out a lot at the NHL level. That yeah. dynamic might be different for these three other guys who have who have had a lot of time in the American right. Hockey League. And the question is, what is best for their development? Is it actually better for them to play less potentially or play intermittently, but be around the NHL team and be in that group and be practicing with that group? And I mean, those are decisions for Julian Brisbois and his staff. I'm not the one making those decisions. I'm just pointing out some of the different components that would go into a decision of, do we keep this guy up or do we send him down? Correct. So, Al, that is kind of maybe what we're thinking a little bit. Um, time will tell with what they want to do with those three prospects. But I would agree with you uh, on Kachuk, 
I, I do think he is, and Dave, we can get maybe into the game a little bit last night, and uh, he's right about all the, the stars that the Lightning were missing. No doubt that had an effect on the game. It always does. I mean, I think you yeah. have to. Have I'll to... point out, though, I mean, the, the Panthers didn't have Verhage. Yeah. The Panthers didn't have Hornquist in the lineup. This is a good Panthers team. I mean, I was looking at their forward unit, and that could have been an NHL roster in terms of the forwards. They had some younger defensemen in there, and maybe those defensemen will, in fact, make the team, guys like Kierstead and, and Prisky. But look top to bottom at their four lines. Like, Lamico played in the NHL last year. Louis Dorenin played for them last year. Mason Marchman played for them in the playoffs last year. I mean, and then you still got to factor in Hornquist and Verhage and this Lundell, who they're really high on. Now, he's a guy that there's no there's no risk there sending him to the minors, and maybe they feel that's that's the best course of action for him. But they've got some hard decisions, the Panthers, to make. Their, their lineup was better than Seattle's lineup that they're throwing out there on a regular basis. There's more dynamic players in that lineup for Florida than Seattle has when <laughs> that lineup is finally put together and ready to go. It speaks probably to the issue Seattle has in terms of game breakers, but you're right. I mean, you look at Huberdo, you look at yeah. Reinhardt, Barkoff. I mean, that was a... I mean, Duclair is, is a placeholder for Verhage right now on that line because yeah. Verhage, I think, is going to play with Barkov and Reinhardt. So you're going to move Duclair down. Yep. So he's going to be presumably on the third or fourth line. Well, who are you taking out? Yeah. And you got to find room for Hornquist. Can't forget about him. Phil won't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Phil won't forget about him for sure. I I, uh, I was telling this to George. Did I, I might have said it on the show yesterday. I I. The, the days, Dave, they just kind of run together. I think you can make a strong case. The best team in the Eastern Conference comes from the state of Florida. You have those cute little things. You like that, don't you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> you like that. That makes you think a little that's bit. Like, like, that's like... What's the other prototypically one? Prototypically Greg Lanelli. <laughs> <laughs> like... A statement that covers all of your bases, right? <laughs> that gets your point across at the same time. Well, you know what? George didn't disagree. <laughs> yeah. he, did, he did now you know in, in many ways he's covering the panthers and it's good for right. him if he says good things and i understand that look the islanders are gonna have a say about this and you know speaking of a team that that took on tampa bay that could have won the stanley cup that that didn't because they had to go through tampa bay i think they're probably in that equation especially with anders lee coming back from an injury so i think uh, you and i have discussed this uh, we have talked about the the florida panthers in addition to the rivalry that is brewing and is is being brewed um, the reason why they can stand toe-to-toe with, with the Lightning are, are several reasons. One, they have a, a lot of offense, and I think when you play against a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, you need guys who can fill the net because at some point in a series, Tampa Bay's star players will have a game or two, or maybe it'll even be for a series. I think Florida's back end's gotten better over the years, and I'm not I, – I, I still like Tampa Bay's back end a bit more, but I think Florida's certainly has gone – uh, has gotten a lot better. And then I think really the question just becomes, we touched on this last night, we saw him yesterday as well, Spencer Knight, how far can he take them with so little NHL experience? And we talked about the expectations, how fair is it to put those expectations on a young player like that when he barely has played in the NHL? And I would just answer, well, 
the Panthers obviously are going to put those expectations on him because A, they started him in a playoff game last year. And B, he's going to be there right now with Bobrovsky and maybe it takes the regular season to figure out who's going to be the starter in the playoffs. But my sense is that if Spencer Knight is your guy and you think eventually he's an upgrade over Bobrovsky, and in many ways you kind of went that route a bit last year when he did have an opportunity to play in the playoffs, meaning Spencer Knight, then maybe he is the guy that that shoulders that, that load come playoff time. So uh, the Lightning, I think, have less questions, Dave, than Florida. But that doesn't mean Florida can't overcome some of those questions because I think they're surrounded and made up of a lot of talent. It's just a matter of what are you getting out of uh, a Spencer Knight specifically. And if he reaches the level of his pedigree, which is a first-round pick, then, you know, the Panthers are going to be a really tough out. But I think we knew that already. I don't think he we played well. He played well last night, too. What impresses me about Knight is he looks very cool and composed, which is not exclusive to him as a goalie, but it's a little unusual to see a young goalie look that unflappable. Carey Price kind yeah. of carries himself that way. And and Sounds like he he's always in pulse. good position. Yeah. Kind of the puck hits him. You know, he's not flailing around a lot. <laughs> and look, did he have a perfect game last night? No, he gave up two goals. Chief thought he overplayed the Sergachev goal a bit. And he had a little bit of rebound control issues in the second period. But all in all, that was a very strong performance. And I thought Vassy was good, too. I thought Vassy was really good, too. I, I think you can quibble maybe with uh, the first goal, you know, where it was a, a weird angle shot and on the right pad and kind of kicked it out to Vetrano. Um, that might be quibbling, too, Dave. I don't I don't know where you kind of come down on that, but he had a number of really good saves uh, inside. And I think the yeah. one was on Bennett, right, where he yeah, was absolutely the, robbed The him. Panthers had an extremely dangerous power play chance in the first when they were up one nothing, and Vassy was really good during that penalty kill. Well, let's get into the game from the Lightning's perspective because John Cooper said it was their best preseason game so far, and I don't disagree, and not just because of the stuff we talked about at the top of the show. I think that the Lightning had a, a good first period. I think they had a really good second period, and then they had a, a subpar relative to the first two periods third period at least the first half and then they were down by a couple with 10 minutes left and they were having trouble cobbling momentum together to to get back in the game but overall there was a lot to like about how the lightning played I thought they they played on their toes I thought their forecheck was was giving Florida problems they up until the third period when the Panthers kind of surged back they, they had a shot on goal advantage. I think they had a – I don't know if they had a scoring chance advantage because Florida racked up a lot of scoring chances in, in a short period of time when they kind of surged in the first couple of periods. But the Lightning did well to generate scoring chances, and, and Knight was very sharp in, in turning those aside. I thought the lines competed hard up and down the, the four lines – and what I'll, what I'll conclude with is this, Greg, because this is what we went into the game talking about, the four forwards. I thought when the Lightning were going well, and they were going well for much of the game, 
the four forwards all looked as good as they have looked at any point in the preseason. And you had made the point that, you know, they're getting a chance to play with more NHLers, and all four of them were playing with more NHLers. The way they worked the lines, I believe each of the four lines had one of those players they did. on they did. it. When the Lightning sagged in the third, I thought those four players were, were less noticeable. So they kind of went as the team went, but because the team for much of the night looked pretty good, I think that those four players also looked pretty good. And and actually, for a lot of them, it was their best preseason game. Yeah. I mean, I Kachuk he... had his moments earlier in, in the preseason, but I would say even for him, I would say for all four players, that was their best showing to this point in the preseason. Radish needed a good showing, and I think he got one. Yeah. I don't know if it's enough. Again, I, I, I don't know what they're going to do. We simply can just watch with our eyes. I, I think, honestly, what you're going to take out from that game or take from that game in some ways, Dave, in addition to what you just said, and all of that is very valid, what were the players talking about afterwards, at least Pat Maroon? Boy, you know, it was great to see guys defending. That, that Boris Kachuk, that was... He opened up my eyes right there. I I think that stuff goes, as you know, that goes a long way in a locker room. It just does. And um, I think he's done enough offensively. I think he, uh, I don't know. I'll be curious to see how that plays out. And I, look, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be in the starting lineup and actually play. And that'll be something that the coaching staff looks if he does make the team. But I thought he endeared himself. Maybe that's the word. Dave, he endeared himself to his yeah. teammates last night, and sometimes you need a moment like that. I actually thought that maroon line was very good. Um, I they thought, were good. I thought um, that was the line Radish was on. Yes, with you know, Belmar and Maroon. Belmar is good. I mean, that's you don't. He's one of those players you don't appreciate until you see him. I think maybe we've had that conversation before where. Didn't get a chance to see him a ton, a little bit in Philly, you know, and then he's playing in Vegas and and Colorado, so you don't get a chance to see him as much as you'd like. But you look at his numbers and say, okay, you know, you're going to get faceoff wise, but he can, Dave, he can skate. Yes, I think that's that's always been really a trademark of Lightning teams. You got to skate. I mean, even Pat Maroon looks faster, at least in preseason. And um, I just, if you can't skate, you're not going to play. And a veteran guy who, I don't know, I think he has a little more offensive skill than maybe people give him credit for. It was a good goal that we saw on his in the second period to make it 1-1. But, I, you know, I, that, that, was a, that was a fun line to watch. And we've talked about what's that fourth line going to be. You know, is, is Corey Perry going to find himself somewhere playing with those guys. I don't know. I really like Corey Perry. I mean, obviously his game in front. But, again, endearing yourself to your teammates. Now, granted, it was in a preseason game, Dave, but, I mean, he was chirping at the bench the whole time. The whole time after Bennett took a run at Vassy. And then he dropped the gloves. I mean, that's that's in part you're playing for a championship-type team. I think you want to fit in pretty quickly not that Perry has to do a lot of those things but I think it goes a long way and I think also too it's one of those things where you're going to take a run at our best player you better be ready for the rest of the night and I'm really curious to see what the next two nights 
mean for this. I, in some ways, I, I, I kind of wish last night was the last preseason game for the Lightning. Yeah, I mean, sometimes these things don't boil over. And didn't we have that discussion after, what was it, game 55 and game 56? Game 55 was extremely physical and rough, and there were fights. We are wondering what we are going to have in game 56, and game 56, relatively was speaking, up. was quieter, right? So it doesn't always like build to a crescendo sometimes it's a noisy game one night and then it's right. barely a peep the next so we'll see and the lineups are going to be different presumably certainly for the lightning i mean i would expect that what do we have headman mcdonough kucherov stamkos sorelli again we don't know where he is in terms of his recovery i mean those are five right off the bat you figure if Sorelli is healthy, like they're all going to get in to at least one, if not both of these final two games, which will change the look of the lightning power play too. drastically, drastically. The power play has been, how would you describe it? I maybe even with those guys out expecting a little bit more. Yeah. It's been, you know? it's been out of sync, but yeah, you know, Nikita Kucherov hasn't been on the power play. I mean, that's part of it. He was in the one game. I don't remember how many power plays the Lightning had in that game. Yeah, yeah, not not so much because Cooch is out. I, I mean, I look, I acknowledge. I'm talking about like the guys that are playing. Yeah, like Barry Boulay. You know, he's had a couple of chances. He missed what wide and yeah, he hit the crossbar last yeah, night. I, I think I on the know. five on three. That that's where he. I mean, look, Dave. When he got promoted last year, he went right to the power play at times. I mean that that's what he should be excelling at and i understand it's preseason but i mean that's that's a moment for barry boulet where that's kind of in his wheelhouse you have a chance to exploit the other team who's down a man with your skill set with your vision and your shot haven't seen enough of it in this preseason um and, and i think that's really where he could have had an, an advantage over some of these other guys um, in preseason, because I think Bar Barry Boulay is a little bit different skill set wise than the other guys, but he hasn't, you know, he hasn't been able to to capitalize necessarily on those specific situations. So, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think the team obviously still knows what he can do. It just haven't seen it in the preseason as much as as he would like. There is one guy who did score in this game, and I do want to talk about him when we return because I think it's a it's a bigger deal confidence wise than. Just a goal in the preseason. We'll we'll hit that. We'll take some of your tweets that are starting to come in as well. At Bolts Radio, you can hit up uh, Dave Michigan at Dave Michigan at Greg Linelli. Hit me there, and uh, we'll get some of those thoughts on the airwaves as well. It is Power Lunch right here on Lightning Power Play. When you attend Lightning games at Emily Arena, be sure to bring your Bluetooth headphones to listen to the Lightning Radio Call with Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito. Fire score! Kucherov! Huge goal! Log on to the Emily Arena free Wi-Fi, and you can stream the broadcast through the NHL app with no latency. Enhance your Bolts viewing experience with Dave and Phil on the call right in your seats. Zivazilevsky! A miraculous stop! For more info, go to TampaBayLightning.com. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Get those questions and comments in. Talking about the game last night, I am Greg Linelli along with Dave Mishkin. 
You know, Dave, last night, the goal that made it 3-2 on the power play, you touched on it a bit in that previous segment, and it was Mikhail Sergachev, his first of the preseason. I thought at the time when he scored it, and I still feel the same way after getting a, a nice a good night's sleep, as they say, Dave, um, <laughs> where I, that, I, I think that's a bigger deal than just, you know, filling the net. I, I think for Sergachev, I think he had the, the quotes, and I'm paraphrasing, basically, you know, he, he wanted to concentrate a little bit more in the offseason, maybe getting his shot on net and certainly increasing those offensive numbers. And this was a topic last year that, you know, we had discussed. I know Brian Engblom would bring up on the postgame show is that, you know, Sergachev, for all of his improvements defensively, he is an offensive guy. He's a dynamic offensive player. And that can mean a number of different things. It can mean skating. It can mean passing. But I think it means also, too, Sergachev has the ability from the back end, Dave, to put the puck in with some regularity. And I think, quite frankly, he might have been a little embarrassed by not only his inability to score last year, but one thing I noticed, and I'm sure the coaching staff did, and I'm sure most people did if you follow the lighting, just didn't hit the net a lot. Yeah, we you know, talked just, about that last year. Yeah, just did not hit the net a lot. And easier said than done, I acknowledge. But this is a guy who I think has the potential to be an elite offensive defenseman. And I'm sure that was very frustrating for him last year. And I, I just, it's, I, I've made this analogy before. It's, a, it's like the equivalent of a shooter in basketball who's going through a slump, maybe gets to the free throw line, and just sees that ball go through the hoop. It does something mentally to see, to see that puck go in the net. Maybe I'm making too much out of it, Dave. Who knows? Time will tell. But I think for a guy who is an offensive defenseman who struggled a bit in that department last year, that had to give him a little bit of a confidence uh, heading into the next game and hopefully in the regular season. Yeah, scoring means a lot. Whether you're uh, a guy who scores a lot at the forward position or a guy who tends not to score a lot, it it can make you feel good. Or a guy who is used to scoring somewhat regularly from a position in which you don't often score a lot of goals. I'm talking about defense. So, you know, like Aaron Ekblad last year, had a season and he broke his leg. He played 35 games. He had 11 goals. He finished fourth among NHL defensemen in goals, 11, which goes to show how how productive a season he yeah, had in right, the first right. 35 games. So it's not like defensemen are used to scoring, you know, 30, 35 goals. The days of Paul Coffey zooming up and down the ice or Bobby Orr, for that matter, those days are long gone. So it's not like even the top-scoring defenseman can count on seeing the puck go in the net you know, every other game. That's just not realistic. But to go a full season with without scoring or to score like one goal in a full season when you are a defenseman who is used to scoring more than that, I think that that can have an effect. And so it's kind of like what we talked about when Sorelli scored. It was the game in which he got hurt. Remember, he scored a nice goal in that game that was the the home game against nashville maybe that helps his confidence because he had a long goal drought to round out the regular season last year he did score in the playoffs but if it if it means something to the player in terms of allowing them to to play with some swag which is important 
Swag is like confidence, right? And how you how you are feeling about finishing a chance. Your swag, your mojo, whatever you yeah. want to call it, Dave. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think that that's insignificant. Now, the goal doesn't count in the real stats because it was a preseason game, but good for Sergey. Yeah. Hopefully it's something you can carry carry over. And that was a shot that was on net, too. Like you said, it was through yes. a screen, yes. but he got it on net. Yes. And I think, listen, he, he's got a really good shot. I don't think he has to wind up and and take big swings. I mean, I think he could do a, a quick wrister, and that still has enough velocity where you can be pretty dangerous. So, you know, look, I don't want to belabor the point, but it's, it's something I noticed last night, and, and I hope he can build off of that because I think it means a lot to him, and I think it would do wonders for his development as a, as a hockey player taking that next step. So good to see there on that end. Uh, Jake, not from State Farm, just has a comment. He was, I was there last night, and it felt like a playoff atmosphere the whole game. If last night was any indication of what's to come in the regular season, maybe this matchup might turn into the interstate rivalry these two fan bases have always wanted. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's heading in that direction. And even before the nastiness started, so the Bennett play happened early in the second, if you watched that first period or you were at the game or listened, Chief and I definitely talked about this, the pace at which that period was played was playoff-like. So it was it was much quieter in terms of the the physical play and the nastiness and well the first you know we didn't get a lot flying. of I think there was one penalty in the first yeah. period but yeah the pace was crazy fast that was playoff like it was Phil would have loved it Phil would have been like it. I'm glad I came to Orlando this game starts at it was supposed to start at 7.09, started at 7.06. We can get into that in a second, what happened there. So Phil would have liked the fact that it started three minutes earlier. He would have really liked the fact that that first period took like, I don't know, minutes. 31 minutes to play. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe less than that. I don't know. And then things slowed to a, to a halt by the time we reached the third period. You know, what Phil, you know what Phil really would have loved from that game, Dave? There was no shootout. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to end it. That would have well, been. Well, we got to stick around? Yeah. What? What? Are you looking around? What? what are you kidding me, Steven? What? <laughs> and that would have been uh, that would have been funny. So, yes. Now that the, but you're right about that. The pace. I mean, I, I was, you know, watching it, taking notes. I, I kept saying to myself, boy, it feels like we haven't taken any breaks or there no stoppages in play. I mean, this. Yeah. And I guess in some ways that's what happens when you get two skilled teams that can skate. I mean, you're not going to see a lot of penalties. You shouldn't, at least. Outside of when Sam Bennett does what he did to Vasilevsky. Well, sometimes a fast pace, though, does lead to penalties because the defending team has to take a penalty to prevent. Because they're so out of position. A chance. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. the pace of the, the play forced them into a, a less than advantageous position. So, yeah, out of position. What you said. Jake says. A different Jake. A different, a different Jake. He Jake is Ricker. from State Farm. He Maybe is. Not. He is. Um, Jake Ricker, who uh, enjoys listening to us, says thoughts on Belmar. Unfortunately, didn't get a chance to watch a ton last night, but from what I have heard, he looked good. Well, he did. He has looked good. Look, I think you know what you're getting from him. He's been doing it long enough. He's extremely consistent and reliable. He's going to win face-offs. He's going to be 
uh, a regular penalty killer. He's going to pop in some goals. I think he's scored nine goals each of the last three years. Let's see if he can get to double digits this year. It was a nice finish. Yeah. Top of the net. He's he's a really nice addition. The Lightning made. George wants to know, do the line combinations mean more this year because of some new faces? I don't know about mean more. I think we may see some experimenting. And the coaching staff is going to try and figure out exactly how they want to construct the lineup. And sometimes you have line shuffling because guys get hurt too. And so you're forced to to mix and match. And the Lightning had injuries last year. Certainly, I mean, Stamkos missed the last month. Kucherov, Kucherov was out the whole regular season. So that's probably a bad example because they mean, didn't I, need to. Once they, yeah. once they started the year, he didn't come back and then come out. But, you know, Sorelli missed some time. But the difference last year was they kind of had a template based on the playoff run the year before from which to work. But that is that is unusual. Typically, you do have some changes that require, however you put it, line shuffling. And, I mean, even the Panthers, and I'm using them as like an even because their lines have been pretty consistent since Quenville took over starting last year. Like they like Barkov and Rohegi together, but you know, they're, they, they acquired Reinhardt. He's, he's going on that line. That will be an adjustment. Now, look, Reinhardt's a good player and he's going to be playing with one of the best players in the league. So you figure that it should work pretty well, but that is a different look. So that is what usually happens. Usually you're trying to figure this out through training camp and into the start of the regular season, and sometimes it's an ongoing process. I mean, not everybody has the luxury of a Bruce Cassidy putting out Bergeron, Pasternak, and Marchand like money in the bank. That's it. There's the line. Although that point line's close to it. Yeah, I mean, I mean but point. we've seen John Cooper mix that up too if he feels it's it's getting a little stale, although we didn't really see that because Kucherov the wasn't one... playing in the regular season last year, and in the playoffs they didn't need to mix it up. But. The interesting thing is because I think we've seen John Cooper like to keep tandems together as opposed to lines, and I think a lot of coaches like to do that. You know, Sorelli and Kalorn, there's been a lot of talk about those guys playing with one another, and at, at times we've seen Stamkos on that line. We've seen Matthew Joe. I mean, it can change a little bit. I do think it's going to be interesting to see where Steven Stamkos kind of slots in with all of this because he's coming off the knee surgery before the playoffs last year. He feels like he's as healthy as he's ever been. We know what he can do with his one-timer. The question is, you know, does he still um, have the ability to keep up at a pace that maybe warrants being in a top-six role? Is it something where does one of those younger guys, if they make the team, come up and play in that role that maybe best suits their skill sets? I think the regular season, you can experiment with that because I, I think that's what it's for. You know, one thing these guys all tell you, especially when they get asked in the playoffs, when John Cooper does switch up some lines here and there, is that you know we're comfortable playing with one another because we've done it before. So there's going to be some juggling, I think, on the third and fourth lines. I think it'll be interesting to see where Steven Stamko slides in. I, I, I happen to think it's going to be with Kalorn and Sorelli, but I think you could see some movement there. I don't know if you want a line of all young players together. You know, we discussed that a little bit Dave when we said you know is it Colton Joseph and one of the the young prospects who's trying to make the team 
Is that something the coaching staff would feel comfortable doing? That being said, the first 20, 25 games of the regular season, maybe even longer than that, you know, maybe John Cooper does take that time to see what he has with that line combination. So I don't, I've never really gotten married to lines. I, I think there are specific examples throughout the NHL where they have worked. You mentioned Boston, and that makes a lot of sense. The The Penguins back in, in the day, they had Francis, Lemieux, and Yager. I don't think you're going to take any of those guys <laughs> off that line because they're yeah. really productive. And I think the Braden point line, for the most part, is going to be kept intact. Although we did see the third line last year for the Lightning stay the same when, when push came to shove. You weren't going to mess with that Yanni Gord line. So there are a few instances. There are exceptions to every rule. But I, I've never really been married to line combinations all the time because I, I just think, one, the opposing team does a pretty good job of scouting and looking at film and taking away some strength. So your first line could be completely shut down because of, I, I think, the coaching that goes into today's game. So you need to you need to switch things up at times, and I think John Cooper has done that. I expect that to happen this year with some exceptions, mainly the first line. Um, but I think we're going to see some shuffling in the second, third, and fourth lines, Dave, throughout the year. And that's not a bad thing, no. by the way. That's not a bad no. thing. I think that's actually can be a, a pretty – it keeps things fresh and interesting for a team that, you know, let's face it, their goal is to get back to the playoffs – and uh, win another cup if they can. And and players have talked about why it, it can be beneficial. And it did happen last year. I mean, I know we kind of think of last year's lineup as really static because they brought back so many guys from from the year before. But I know Kalorn has talked about this a lot. Like getting a chance to play with a lot of different players can help you down the road in case you have to be moved like you're in a playoff game and somebody gets hurt and you have to juggle the lines, you know, if you get moved onto a line with someone else that you're not typically playing with, you know, the fact that maybe you played with them in game 33, right? 33 through 38 for a stretch, you can you can use that experience to help make that transition a little smoother. So for I mean sure. that's 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 a reason, not a reason to do it, but that's I think an added benefit if you do it. You do it because you're looking for a spark. And John Cooper is not one to to be passive about it. He will shuffle the lines within a game. He will also shuffle the lines from game to game. And he's been doing it as long as he's been the head coach. So I guess you know the original yeah. question was about the, the line combinations, like it is fluid. Just be prepared. It is fluid. It is going to be fluid. It has been fluid. It will continue to be fluid. Gary says, are you concerned at all with Brian Elliott's play this preseason? I know it's preseason, but he hasn't looked great. Well, he did not have a great game in the first game against Nashville. I don't think it sits well with him that he gave up six goals in the second game against Nashville. But he did throw in some good saves in that game as well. I remember we made a breakaway save at one point and and dealt with some it wasn't like a lot of shots, but he did deal with some 
some fairly dangerous scoring chances in that game that he stopped. But he'll get the start tomorrow. That's what John Cooper was saying. So he'll have another opportunity to 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 work out any kinks before the regular season begins. Gary, he's a he's a veteran guy that you're going to have to see what he does in the regular season to really make a, a decision. Not only, Dave, on his play and how many starts you can give him, but how many times you can rest Vassy. I think yep. that's probably more important when we're looking at Brian Elliott. You know, is he an upgrade over Curtis McElhaney? I, listen, I actually think the Lightning's backups, since Ben Bishop was the starter, and Vassie was one of them, they've had some pretty good backups for the most part. Even Louis Domingue, who came in and, and set records, winning consecutive games in a row, was solid when he was here. He's actually in the Pittsburgh Penguins camp right now. Looks like he's going to start in Wilkes-Barre, but he talked about how uh, ever since he left Tampa Bay, he's he's not been able to put it together, which is not a surprise in, in, in many ways with his career and, and his projection. But Domingue was solid. McElhaney was solid. Do we anticipate Elliott being solid? Yeah, based off of his track record, you're not asking him to start. And so I think we need to wait to see what he's like in the regular season. It's a tough job. But I think this year, like uh, like any other year, poses some different challenges. And one of those challenges, I think, are going to be the Olympics. And we know already some players have been named, I guess, to the preliminary roster of their said country. We assume Vasi is going to be part of Team Russia. He's going to be playing, you would think, every game. I do think it's a legitimate question and fair to point out that is your backup going to be relied upon a bit more this year because of the Olympics and because of who your number one is than in other years? And if Elliot's not playing as well as you would like, does that put more undue stress on a goaltender who you have ridden for the last two playoff runs and who's played every minute? I think that's a fair question. We don't know the answer to that. We will. Yes, the preseason hasn't looked great, but I let's put it this way. I am not panicking, Gary, about Brian Elliott. And I think like anything else, I think you have to give him a few games here to see what you have in him. At the very least, Dave. If we're being fair. I would agree with that. And let's see when his first start is. I mean, we talked about on yesterday's show, the Lightning don't have a back-to-back till the end of October. Will he get a start before then? What do yeah. they play five games before the back-to-back? They open at home against Pittsburgh and then two on the road, Detroit, Washington, and then two more at home before the back-to-back. Yeah. Does he get into one of those games? It's not an overly rigorous schedule. I mean, under normal circumstances, I could see them playing Vassy all five and then splitting that first back-to-back. But like you've talked about, with the Olympics there, you know, do they try and – space out not actually space out do they try and compress maybe a little bit more some of the the non-game appearances the other thing too is you know how many of those guys that get chosen for the all-star game in addition to the olympics actually playing the all-star game do they well that's what that we talked about the all-star game is in vegas so right. i mean they're heading that way for most players anyway the ones they would have to travel some distance to get to vegas 
If they're going to Beijing, it's on the way. Like, I would go, but I wouldn't play. And then I'd take the suspension. Yeah. I'd take the day off, you know, the, the penalty that you get, assuming that's, that's still in there. And uh, we'd see what happens there. Well, before we break, I do want to <laughs> circle back to the start of last night's game. Yeah, go ahead. Because there could have been a penalty assessed to whoever was running the, the clock <laughs> for the opposite of delay of game. What is the what opposite of delay of game? Quick start of game? Was it a quick <laughs> false start? A false start. It? A false start. Very good. What time Steve. were they supposed to start? So so the way it works is they have they have a bunch of different times that they put up on the clock at different points. So if you've ever been to, you know, Amelie Arena and you're getting there before warm-ups, like the clock is running down. They set the clock way in advance of the start of the game for these different markers. So when the clock reads 15 minutes on that original countdown clock, that's when warm-ups begin. And that usually starts half an hour before opening face-off. So if the opening face-off is supposed to be at, what, 7.07, the warm-ups would start at 7.37, and, and they run for 15 minutes. And then when warm-ups are up, they reset the clock. And then you have a countdown to the start of the game, and different teams have different elements to their game start like the lighting have the the thunder kid you know if if you have two anthems that can affect i mean that actually just pushes back the start of the the game it doesn't get baked into this window in between the end of warm-ups and the point when the players come out but depending on what you've got going on it can affect how much time is is put up on the clock so what happened last night was whoever was in charge of putting the time up on the, the scoreboard clock after warmups did not put enough time on the clock. So it was running down and like you were doing your, your segment with chief Greg, which you do every pregame, which is supposed to be the segment before you would have a segment with, with me you and, you or Phil, Phil and me, or in, yeah. in last right. night's case, chief and me, but we didn't really get to that segment because I was looking at the clock and I looked at Steve and I said, there's just not enough time on the clock because what was happening then is in the players locker room and in the officials locker room they have they have the running clock in there as well so they know how much time is left they're not looking at their watch to see oh it's it's 659 right they're saying oh the clock's down to three minutes it's time for us to get ready to go out on the ice and because of that everybody came out too early and the person who, I shouldn't say person, I don't know why it was wrong, right? but it was corrected. But by the time it was corrected, the teams were basically already on the ice. So they added time to the clock. So now you have the, the teams on the ice and they've done their kind of twirl around the ice. They get on the bench and the clock reads like five and a half minutes. They're like <laughs> they're not going to make the players sit on the bench for five and a half minutes right. before they drop the puck. Now we had the anthem. And like Steve Griggs did a, a ceremonial puck drop with with the the CEO of the Solar Bears. I think all of that was scheduled anyway, but that was supposed to happen when, you know, there was like no time on the clock, like right, right before the anthem. And so the long and short of it is we started the game, I believe it was three minutes earlier than normal. And this is the beauty of doing games on radio. Like we are nimble and flexible. We're like, okay, let's just drop this, this segment. Let's drop let's this make sure, spot and yeah, let's like go. we can. It's basically 
Steve, me, you, and our producer back at the station. And then, and then whether it's Phil, but Phil is following our lead. So we can kind of make an, an executive decision, like in real time, like let's adjust so we can just get to the start of the, the game on time. TV is a whole different ball game. They have all this stuff pre-recorded. Our pregame show starts at, at 6.30. Their pregame starts like right at 7, right? I mean, maybe it started, maybe they had a pregame show, but like they're open starts at seven o'clock they need those eight minutes to fit everything in so i was saying afterward like whoever was producing for for bally because it wasn't the lightning producer i think they did a they did a split i think it was the panthers producer who i know because he used to work in the lightning the lightning telecast like his head was probably exploding get that man a cold beverage get that man a cold beverage i know like three minutes are like what's the big deal on TV, that is a huge deal. Yeah, it's, it's, it that is a well huge deal yeah. that they dropped the puck three minutes early. No, that's doubt. a long-winded. That's a long-winded anecdote about something that most people didn't even really notice or care about last night. But I noticed, and I was like, "This is not going to go over well with our friends at no. Bally." Good thing we didn't have to deal with that. <laughs> and we the uh, beauty of radio, right? The beauty of radio. Speaking of radio, we're going to do it again tomorrow, noon to yes. one. But we also have a game. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Should be a lot of fun down at Amelie Arena. Dave, we will do it noon to one. May have a guest sprinkled in there. Who knows? But good analysis as always, bud. We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Steve Versnick. Thanks to you for listening. We always appreciate it. I am Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.